This is kid-friendly stories number three. We're making our way through 31 nights of Halloween so fast. Hopefully you and your little creepsters have enjoyed all of the bonus content so far. And this episode's no different. So sit back, relax, and prepare to get spooked. Okay, so the first one is coming from a book called Ask the Bones. Scary stories from around the world. Selected and retold by Ariel North Olson and Howard Schwartz, illustrated by David Lynn. Okay, the first tale comes from Uzbekistan. It's called The Haunted Forest. Long ago, there was a haunted forest in Uzbekistan. No one who stepped into the shadows was ever seen again. Rusty axes lay on the ground, dropped there by woodcutters who disappeared forever. Baskets lay smashed in the bushes, left by terrified berry pickers who never returned home. The roaring was terrible. It echoed through the forest day and night. But what roared? No one knew. Some said that evil spirits waited in the gloom, ready to pounce upon their victims and lock them deep inside the trunks of trees. Why else did the branches moan in the wind? Others said that monsters with dozens of long, hairy arms rose up from the forest floor and pulled their victims deep beneath the earth, leaving only the axes and baskets behind. The Khan told everyone that neither evil spirits nor hairy monsters lurked in the forest, only a mighty beast, a hungry beast. Beast who could eat an entire man for dinner, yet roar its displeasure if it didn't find a tender maiden for dessert. The Khan wanted someone to slip into the forest and kill this beast. He was sure he could find a man brave enough to do it, and if that man disappeared forever, the Khan wouldn't worry. He could always find others, particularly if he offered a prize. So the Khan issued a proclamation Let it be known the proclamation stated, that a great prize will be given to whoever kills the beast in the forest and brings back its head. Hunters came who could spear a sapling at 50 paces, cleanly splitting it in two. Soldiers came who could slice their swords through the air faster than the eye could see. But one by one, they disappeared into the forest. Peasants living nearby heard hideous screams amidst the roaring and they never saw the brave men again. The peasants piled chairs and tables against their doors at night so nothing from the forest could burst into their huts. They spoke softly to one another, not knowing who or what might be listening. 
Only a fool would attempt to win the prize, someone whispered. But the shoemaker's son decided to try. His name was Hassan, and he had heard about evil spirits and monsters ever since he was a child. At bedtime, when the dark shadows filled the hut, his mother had told him stories that set his imagination on fire. A cloak hanging on a peg seemed alive when the wind blew through the crack in the wall. Pots and pans looked like heads that had dropped down the chimney and were sitting on the hearth, waiting to devour him as soon as he closed his eyes. As he grew older, cloaks and pots and pans looked familiar, except when he awoke in the dark, still immersed in his dreams. But the frightful roaring in the forest? He never got used to that. It made his skin creep and his scalp tingle. Still, he tended to believe the con. It was just a beast. And what beast, he thought, could not be outwitted by man? When Hassan turned 16, he announced that he was going to win the Khan's prize. His mother and father feared for his life, but he promised to be careful. Finally, they let him go to the Khan's palace. Now, the Khan had seen many men try and fail, so he was amused that a mere boy would attempt to kill a ferocious beast. But he gave Hassan a helmet, a shield, and a sword. Hassan thanked the Khan and hurried away. By the time he reached the haunted forest, night had fallen. He carried a flaming torch that lit up the path, but the circle of light made the surrounding woods seem much darker and far more dangerous. Never before had Hassan ventured into the depths of the forest, and never at night. His torch made eerie shadows, and the branches rubbed in the wind, rasping and groaning overhead. Hassan remembered hearing about the evil spirits who trapped their victims within the trunks of the trees. But he told himself he heard only the wind, nothing more. Still, he trembled. Suddenly, he heard a faint rustling in the dry leaves beside the path, and he remembered his mother's stories about hairy arms shooting up through the leaves to pull unwary travelers into the depths of the earth. Just stories? Then why is his heart pounding so? He stopped, his eyes darting left and right. There was something very dark and very large looming ahead. He held his torch high, breathing fast, but he saw that it was merely the tumble-down wall of an old castle. He decided he would rather meet the beast in daylight, so he prepared to spend the night there, sheltered by the castle's remaining walls. He gathered some wood and soon had a fire blazing. Its warmth made him drowsy, but just as he was closing his eyes, he heard the rustling again. Was something rising up through the leaves of the forest floor? Then he heard a soft voice. I'm cold, it said. May I sit by your fire? Hassan jumped up and held his sword ready. Could something monstrous be lurking there, making its voice sweet as honey? Hairy arms slid around the end of the castle wall, or were they hairy legs? Hassan raised his sword above his head. His hands were trembling, ready to strike. Whatever it was, it spoke again, even more gently than before. Fear not, it said, and do not believe what you are about to see. Although I look like a giant spider, I'm really a girl. A shiny black body with the longest, hairiest legs Hassan had ever seen scuttled into the circle of firelight. Was this one of the monsters his mother had warned him about? Hassan gripped his sword even more tightly, but the spider stayed on the opposite side of the fire. One day my veil slipped, it said, when an evil magician was passing by. 
He saw my face and wanted to marry me. So I ran. And that's when he called upon Solomon, son of David, the one who honors all requests, and he turned me into a spider. Hassan wanted to believe the spider, but he needed proof. Recite the evening prayer, he said, if you truly are a person. The spider spoke the words in its soft and gentle voice. Hassan lowered his sword. Maybe we can find something to release you from the spell. And maybe I can help you, said the spider, for I know why you are here. It moved close to Hassan, folded its long, hairy legs, and watched over him while he slept. The next morning, Hassan was awakened by a hideous roar that made the very earth shudder. He and the spider leapt to their feet just as a monstrous lion jumped over the castle wall. It was ten times bigger than any lion on earth, with its ears laid back, its tail lashing, and its claws ready to cut them to bits. And it could talk. Who dares trespass in my forest? It roared. Before the amazed Hassan could draw his sword, the lion slammed him to the ground with one huge paw and pinned the spider's legs with the other. I eat all who enter here. I ate the woodsmen. I ate the berry pickers. I ate the soldiers. I ate the hunters. And now it opened its mouth wide and exposed its razor sharp fangs. Wait, wait, cried Hassan. You don't want to hear the spider's story first? The mighty lion closed its mouth. Perhaps, it said, and it lifted its paws. The spider spoke so sadly about the life it had led since meeting the evil magician that the lion took pity on it. Come to my cave, said the lion to the spider, where I have some magic ointment. A sorcerer gave it to me in an exchange for safe passage through my forest. Let's see what it will do. So the monstrous lion led Hassan and the spider down into the depths of its cave. It pawed aside a pile of rocks and brought forth a small clay pot. Then the lion dipped a stick into the ointment and rubbed it on the spider's head. A cloud of smoke enveloped the spider, and when it swirled away, a veiled maiden stood before them, clothed in shimmering silk. She was as lovely a girl as Hassan had ever seen. He was beside himself with joy. So was the girl. Thank you, dear lion, she cried. I will be grateful to you forever. But the lion was not listening. It lashed its tail and snarled ferociously. I have always said people taste better than spiders, and two make a delicious meal. It sprang towards them. The girl threw the magic ointment at the lion. Hassan swung his sword. But who was the quickest? Did Hassan cut off the lion's head and carry it to the palace? Were he and the girl rewarded with a magic carpet that flew them around the world? Or did the girl fling the magic ointment in time to turn the lion into a kitten? Or, horror of horrors, did the lion gobble up Hassan and the girl with a blood-curdling crunch? You decide. This story is from the book Don't Turn Out the Lights, edited by Jonathan Mayberry. This story is called The Knock Knock Man by Brenna Yovanoff. The mirror sat at the back corner of the attic, leaning against the wall next to where the chimney stuck out. It was big, much bigger than the one in the bathroom downstairs, almost as big as a doorway. Haley sat in front of it, balanced on an old milk crate full of dusty jigsaw puzzles. 
The attic was the size of Arizona, with low slanted ceilings and a little round window at one end, like a porthole. It was strange that she'd never noticed the mirror before. She played up here a lot, digging through stacks of her mother's old magazines. Their neighborhood was nice, full of cottonwood trees and rambling parks, but mostly she stayed in the house. Her mother didn't like for her to leave the yard alone. The reason, her mother said, was that there were snakes down in the ditch sometimes, and the big road out by the edge of the development was too busy. But Haley knew the real reason was Kathy. All her life, Haley had heard stories about the terrible thing that had happened, the awful tragedy of her mother's kidnapped sister. It was creepy but familiar, like the safety assemblies they had sometimes at school, all the warnings and all the rules. Never tell anyone your name or never let the neighbors know that you're home alone. Never talk to strangers. There were bad people in the world waiting to snatch up little girls. It was just much safer to stay in the house. In the mirror, Haley's reflection was softer than usual, like seeing herself through a piece of lace. There was a layer of dust on the glass, turning the room behind her warm and blurry. It made her eyes look greener than they were. The way the mirror leaned lazily against the wall made her feel expected, like it had been waiting here all this time, like a special present just for her. There's a mirror in the attic, she said to her mother. They were in the kitchen under the cut glass ceiling lamp. On other nights, when the sky was low and it got dark early, Haley would be hunched over the table finishing her homework. But now it was summer and there were no long division sets to do, no questions about Gettysburg, so she sat in the yellow glow of the light, peeling glitter polish off of her fingernails. Her mother looked up from a stack of receipts. What mirror? Haley shrugged, a fancy one with big carved flower on top. Haley's mother pursed her lips. Oh. Then she leafed through the receipts again, like she was counting them. That was your Aunt Kathy's, she said without looking at Haley. She used to have it in her bedroom. She said it in a flat, final way that Haley was used to. Her mother always sounded half asleep when she talked about Kathy. Haley waited, but this time her mother didn't say the other things. That the world outside was too noisy and too big, too full of monsters. You could never be sure who the bad men were. That the juniper bushes that looked so green and lovely from the window might hide a man with knives. A man who watched with hot, angry eyes, then came to your door in the night and took you. When Haley was little, her mother had called him the knock-knock man. Back then, the bad things all seemed far away, and the fenced-in yard had still appeared big enough to hold her. She'd made up games and played them by herself, racing through the grass with a sheet tied around her neck like a cape. The games were always about running away, pirates who stole girls from their beds and took them on adventures, or wicked fairies, or Robin Hood. In her games, she was an explorer, brave and intrepid. She would never be lonely or afraid. The knock-knock man was only a dark, smudgy shape somewhere in the distance. Haley peeled the last strip of glitter polish off of her pinky nail and didn't look up. 
That night, she stared at the wall, thinking about the mirror. It looked much too big for someone to have carried it up the narrow stairs to the attic. She wondered how it had gotten there. She pictured it hanging in a bedroom in some other house while the girl who lived there, Kathy, maybe, danced and slept and brushed her hair and sang along to her favorite songs. Haley was 12 now, but in another month, she'd be 13. She'd be older than Kathy had been on the day she disappeared. Haley never danced or played pirates anymore. When she fell asleep, she dreamed about a place where the curtains were always closed and none of the rooms had doors. The air was dry and muffling. You couldn't hear the road. A house so clean and quiet, it could have been made of paper. The mirror was hard to stay away from. That was the strangest part. The scary part was that she didn't try. The next morning, as soon as she'd eaten breakfast and put her bowl in the sink, Haley climbed up to the attic and looked at herself. For a second, the picture in the mirror didn't seem like a reflection at all, but like she was seeing someone through a window. There was a dark smudge in the corner of the glass, shaped like a tall, bony shadow. But when Haley turned to look behind her, there was nothing there. The smudge made her think of a skeletal figure, a shambling man coming up behind her. She couldn't see the thing's face, but she could almost feel it seeing hers. When she turned back to the mirror, the mark was gone. There was only her reflection. The girl in the mirror had a soft, round face, too cute to really be pretty. Haley pressed her hands against her cheek to make them flatter. So did the girl in the mirror. When Haley stopped, her reflection stopped too. Together, they sat staring at each other, toying with the messy sheaf of hair that hung over their shoulders. It was a second before Haley could figure out why that was strange. Then she froze. The girl in the mirror had the same bony wrist, the same square hands, little flecks of glitter still stuck to the fingernails, But Haley's own hair was pulled back in a ponytail. That was impossible. She closed her eyes, and when she opened them again, her reflection was looking back at her, calm as glass, everything in place, freckles, cheeks, ponytail, everything where it should be. Knock, knock, she whispered. She could feel the way her mouth moved, the shape of the words as she said them. But in the mirror, it looked like the little girl was saying something else. It wasn't real, the things she'd seen in the mirror. She knew that. Reflections weren't like videos or photographs. You couldn't fake them with angles or computers. They might warp or bend things like the funhouse mirrors at the fair. But they didn't show you with your hair down when it wasn't. They could be stretched or blurry, but they still basically showed you what was true. Anything else was a trick of the light. The dark, shambling smudge in the corner had just been a trick of light. But still, the mirror made her nervous. She spent the afternoon downstairs. When Wendy Talley's mom called to see if Haley wanted to come with them to the swimming pool, she took a long time to answer the phone. The house felt backward and confusing, like everything was flipped around. Doors that looked right at first 
all led away from the places she wanted to go. She wasn't sure how the rooms connected. Trying to figure it out made her head ache. She said goodbye to Mrs. Tally, then followed the tangled pattern in the hallway carpet until she found the living room, where she sat on the couch and waited for her ears to stop buzzing. She'd seen pictures of her Aunt Kathy at her grandmother's house, in the big old album with the fake leather cover. Now she sat, trying to remember what they had looked like. The thing she was almost sure of was that the girl in the pictures had looked a lot like Haley. She decided she would rather stay inside. Haley was in the attic again. She didn't know how long she'd been there. Her legs felt tingly and numb. The light had changed. Everything was darker. The girl in the mirror wasn't her anymore. At least, not in the way a reflection was supposed to be. Instead, there were a pair of girls who looked alike. The same scattered freckles and soft, tangly hair. The same small, straight noses. Haley and the girl she'd only ever known from her grandmother's faded photographs. Just a girl who'd gone missing one hot July day a long time ago. They didn't look like reflections at all. They looked like sisters. What are you doing in there? Haley asked. Her voice sounded flat and far away. Hiding from the knock-knock man, Kathy said. The only way to hide from him is to stay inside. The room in the mirror looked nicer than the room that she was in now. Kathy leaned closer, reaching out. It's safe in here. It's perfect. If you give me your hand, you can come too. Haley reached back. Under her palms, the glass felt colder than it should have. It was chilly where Kathy was. It didn't make sense, but Haley couldn't remember why. Aren't you lonely in there? Aren't you stuck? Kathy smiled and shook her head. I'm safe. You were kidnapped, though. You were missing. I don't understand. You will. The room in the mirror was bright and much too clean. Haley leaned closer. She had never wanted to be safe inside a glass house before. She had never wanted so much quiet. They leaned toward each other. Kathy's face seemed to ripple. Haley saw a kind of wild joy there, savage and hungry, and then she understood. There was no knock-knock man, at least not the way her mother was afraid of, not hiding in the dark to steal girls. There was only this, a silent, stifling place where nothing got lost or old or dirty and nothing changed. Haley felt the glass so slippery and soft, like it was melting into water. She closed her eyes. When a hard, cold hand closed around her wrist, she felt lonely and small and very afraid. But she did not feel surprised. Knock, knock, Kathy whispered. Okay, for this story, we're back in Ask the Bones, Scary Stories from Around the World, selected and retold by Ariel North Olson and Howard Schwartz, illustrated by David Lynn. This one is a tale from Spain called Next of Kin. The old man longed for children, but he and his young wife had none. 
So he invited his nephew to live with them. This infuriated his wife, who had a vile temper. When her husband welcomed the young man with great affection, she turned pale with jealousy. Her eyes narrowed and her head flattened. And when she licked her lips, her nephew saw that her tongue was forked. From that day on, the young man spent as much time as possible with his uncle and tried to avoid his aunt. But she seemed to enjoy startling him, suddenly appearing when he least expected it. One evening, the nephew returned to the house quite late. He lit a candle and started up the stairs. Halfway up, he tripped on what seemed to be a coiled rope. Imagine his horror when the rope uncoiled and slithered up the steps in front of him. Then he saw it glide across the hall and under the door of his uncle's bedroom. Wake up, wake up, the young man shouted, and he knocked on the door until his knuckles hurt. But when his sleepy uncle finally let him in the bedroom, there was no snake in sight. His aunt seemed to be sleeping, so the young man whispered in his uncle's ear, I saw a snake. But the uncle was too groggy to respond, and he slid back under the covers. The young man searched the room quietly, looking into drawers and cupboards and corners. He peered under the bed and behind the chairs. He was beginning to think he was going mad when suddenly his aunt sat up in bed, narrowed her eyes, and gave him an evil look that made his flesh creep. I'm sorry to bother you, he cried, racing to his bedroom and firmly shut the door. When he woke up the next morning, he noticed that the bottom of his bedroom door was arched up in the center, leaving just enough space for a snake to slither through. He bolted out of bed, trembling. When he went downstairs, he was shocked to see that every door in the house had a snake-sized arch beneath it. His aunt was sitting at the table eating. Your uncle left for the day, she said, licking her lips with her forked tongue. The young man was too terrified to speak, but his silence only made matters worse. I don't like the way you treat me, she said and grabbed his arm. Then she pressed her fingernails so deeply into his skin that he felt as if he were being bitten. He rushed outdoors and saw that his arm was swelling. His hands and fingers were beginning to throb. He knew he must seek help, so he ran to the forest to find the wise old hermit who lived there. The old man examined him carefully and handed him some leaves. These are best for snake bite, he said. Bind them around your arm and keep them wet. But I wasn't bitten by a snake said the young man. Those marks were made by my aunt's fingernails. The old hermit shook his head in despair. The touch of a snake woman is even worse, he said. But try these leaves. They should help. The young man was appalled. Is my aunt really a snake woman? He asked. If you want to find out, the hermit replied, stay awake tonight. And if a snake enters your room, cut off the tip of its tail. The young man wasn't sure how this would help, but he thanked the hermit for his advice and returned to the uncle's house. By afternoon, he was happy to see that the wet leaves had reduced the swelling. He watched his aunt closely that evening, but he didn't notice anything strange until she tasted her soup. She said she needed some more seasoning and lingered on the S as if she were hissing. Her nephew felt goose flesh rise from the tips of his toes to the top of his head. He excused himself from the table and went up to his bedroom, but he did not sleep. He planned to watch for the snake all night long, 
There was just enough moonlight for him to see the bottom of his door, so he blew out his candle and unsheathed his sword, then stood waiting. He watched for hours, wondering what the snake might do. What if it slithered through the window instead, crept up behind him, and struck him with its venomous fangs? What if it slithered to the top of the wardrobe and dropped down on him from above? He was thinking of fleeing for his life when he finally saw the snake glide under the door. First its head, then its body, then its tail. Slash! He swung the sword so quickly that the snake had no warning, and the tip of its tail began writhing, all by itself, there on the floor. The snake raised its head as if to strike, but then it hissed viciously and slithered out of the bedroom. And when he looked down the hall, he saw it disappear under his uncle's door. The young man couldn't stand looking at that quivering tail, so he scooped it up with his sword and flung it in a drawer. He hardly slept that night, and when he did, snakes chased him through his dreams. The next morning, he opened the drawer a crack to look at the snake's tail and was amazed to see that it turned into human toes. He raced back to the forest to tell the hermit what had happened. And now my aunt is staying in bed, but do you know what my uncle said? She told him she hurt her foot while sleepwalking. Either she will fear you now, said the old man, or she will try to get rid of you. Listen carefully. If you think you're in danger, you must search her bedroom for her snakeskin. And when you find it, burn it. The young man thanked the hermit, but he was concerned. What would happen if he burned the snakeskin? He decided to give his aunt one last chance. While she was recovering, she caused no trouble. But as soon as her wound healed, she resumed her nightly slithering about the house. Sometimes when the young man was lying in bed, he saw the snake slip in and out of his empty boots or up the sleeve of his coat he had worn. One dreadful night, he felt the snake wiggling under his pillow. He jumped out of bed in a cold sweat. His dreams had gotten worse. He had a terrifying nightmare in which his aunt was trying to choke him. He awoke gasping for breath and realized that something was coiled tightly around his neck. It was a snake. He pulled it off and threw it across the room, and after he caught his breath, he knew he had to follow the hermit's advice. The next day, his aunt said her back was sore, but this didn't keep her from going for a walk with his uncle. As soon as they left the house, the young man slipped into their bedroom to look for her snakeskin, but he couldn't find it. He was about to give up when he noticed dusty footprints on a chair. He stepped up onto the seat and looked on top of the wardrobe. There, neatly coiled, lay the shiny snakeskin. But just as he picked it up, he heard the door open downstairs. He knew that his aunt and uncle were home. He rolled up the snakeskin tightly and hid it in his fist before he raced back to his room. That's when he heard hideous screams coming from the lower hall. His aunt was shrieking, Something is crushing me! But when the nephew heard her cries, he almost lost his resolve. But then he remembered how he felt when the snake wrapped itself around his neck and tried to choke him. He threw the snakeskin into the fire and watched it burn. By the time he went downstairs... He was startled to see his aunt lying dead on the floor. He thought he was getting rid of his snake, but now his aunt was gone too. I'm sorry, he said to his uncle, but the old man seemed relieved. It's only the poisonous ones who are dangerous, he said and licked his lips.
This last story comes from Don't Turn Out the Lights. The story is titled The Neighbor by Amy Lukovics. As soon as Dennis woke up, he felt like he was being watched. When he got out of bed and opened his blinds to greet the morning like he always did, there was a little boy sitting in the yard across the road, staring. The presence of a neighbor was especially confusing because the house across the road was empty and had been for years. Dennis would have noticed if people had moved in because he played outside almost every day during summer vacation And even when he wasn't outside, he was in the living room where he had a full window view of the road and the unoccupied house. But there he was anyway, the new neighbor who appeared to be just about Dennis's age, sitting very still, with his eyes opened very wide, unblinking. It's almost like he's patiently waiting for me to wake up, Dennis thought. It gave him the chills. He turned away from the window. The new neighbor, still on his mind as he ate some breakfast, put on his play clothes, and brushed his teeth. There was certainly something strange about the whole thing. But on the other hand, the idea of a new friend to play with during this long, boring break from school was exciting for Dennis. So after he finished eating, he went out the front door and checked to see if the boy was still there. He was. Dennis went across the road to introduce himself. I'm Dennis, he said, and the boy grinned wide enough to show almost all of his teeth. I know, the boy said. I'm Jones. Now Dennis was even more puzzled. How could this boy possibly already know his name? When did you move in? Dennis asked, looking behind where Jones sat to the big empty porch of the house. He didn't see any movement through the windows, and he didn't see a car parked in the yard either. Where are your parents? Never mind them, Joan said, standing up and brushing the dirt off of his already filthy pants, which Dennis guessed were originally white, but were now a grungy shade of brown. Want to play with me today? Sure. Dennis had always wanted a neighbor of his own age to play with, so much so that he was willing to let go of the pit that had formed in his stomach the moment he saw Joan sitting on the ground, staring at his window this morning. Maybe this new boy was a little strange. So what? Dennis would take what he could get. Let's go, Jones shouted, and took off running for the woods beyond the road. I have something really cool to show you. Wait, Dennis called after Jones, but followed him nonetheless. My mom says I'm not allowed to play in the woods. It'll be fine, Jones yelled over his shoulder without slowing. I played in the woods my whole life. Dennis paused for just a moment before continuing to run. He had lived in his house for all of his 10 years and knew for a fact that he'd never seen Jones before or anyone in the house across the street, especially near the woods. Maybe mom wouldn't get too mad at him if he told her that his new friend had been the one to suggest a place so far away from their houses. The woods were very dark. They smelled musty, almost like Dennis's basement after a rainstorm, and he wondered how many centipedes were near him in that very moment, burrowing and slithering and munching. Some of the trees had holes in them, but most of the holes were covered by cloudy layers of densely spun spiderwebs, which swayed in the breeze as Jones ran past them. I'm the ghost hunter, Jones announced, 
slow in his run to a stop at last to pick up a long, gnarled stick. He pointed the sharpened tip at Dennis. And you're the ghost. Ghost? Dennis had always hated the idea of invisible dead people standing around watching him, whether from far away or very, very close. No breathing, no heartbeat, just cold air and distant sound of tortured whispers. Dennis didn't get why some souls would choose to stick around. What would be so exciting about observing the land of the living anyway? He felt like after a little while, it'd be impossible to not get angry about it. You're dead and they're alive. You'd come to feel mean. You'd come to feel violent. And scariest of all, you'd become dangerously bored. If you were a ghost, you'd have all the time in the world and you would need something to do with all of those terrible feelings. Turn them into something. Make them become real. Goosebumps flourished over the back of Dennis's arms. He noticed that Jones was staring at him strangely, with his head sort of tilted to the side, like he was seeing something funny. You don't like ghosts very much, do you, Dennis? Jones asked. And now Dennis wished he'd never broken the rules to come out and play in the woods after all. I don't care about ghosts, Dennis said, feeling his cheeks warm at the lie. I mean, I don't really believe in them. Jones smiled. The stick in his hand still pointed threateningly at Dennis. Oh, come on. It's fun to believe in ghosts. Could you put that down? Dennis's mouth suddenly felt dry. He longed for a drink of water. The stick, I mean. I don't really like it. Jones lowered the stick right away and tossed it aside into a baneberry bush. The bush was flush with beautiful red berries, smooth and shiny like tiny Christmas ornaments. But Dennis knew from a nature book he had seen at home that baneberries were poisonous. Don't eat those, he blurted, then felt embarrassed for himself because Jones wasn't even looking at the berries, let alone picking them to eat. Sorry about the stick, Jones said, ignoring the comment about the berries, which Dennis appreciated. I didn't mean to scare you or anything, just trying to get you to relax. You seem like you don't really want to be friends. Dennis felt guilty for letting himself get so nervous about Jones. Who cared when he'd moved into that empty house across the road? Maybe his family had done it at night or very early in the morning before Dennis woke up. Maybe Jones's parents' car was parked in the garage, not the driveway, and that's why he hadn't seen it. Dennis couldn't believe how silly he'd been. Here was this boy trying to be friends with him, show him his favorite place to play, Jones probably lived in a house close by before he moved here, Dennis reasoned. That's why he'd said he'd played in these woods his whole life. Don't apologize, Dennis said, and he felt the tense pit in his stomach finally start to dissolve. I'm the one who's sorry. I was feeling weird before, but I'm fine now. Let's play. So they did. Not ghost hunter and ghost, but general versus general with each boy setting up their own little armies of things they found around the woods. Moss-covered chips of bark, rocks, stick, grass, and poisonous berries. They had so much fun that Dennis lost track of time, and it was only when a bird somewhere deep in the woods shrieked loud enough to make both of them jump that he realized that he'd been enthralled in their game for hours. His eyes adjusted to the dim lighting of the forest, 
but Dennis swore it was just a tad darker than when they'd arrived. I need to get home, Dennis said, standing up and wiping his muddy hands on his pants. My mother is going to kill me. I'm not even allowed to play out here, really, but I'll tell her tonight it's fine because you know your way around. We should come back tomorrow. Yes, Jones agreed. He stood and stretched his arms above his head. That was a very fun indeed. I haven't played like that in a long, long time. Jones began leading the way out with Dennis close behind. The boys joked about their game and made plans for what new elements they could introduce tomorrow. Stuff like witches and curses and plagues. After a while, Dennis realized that they'd been walking for what felt like too long. Like they should have broken through the trees and had clear views of their houses by now. He mentioned it to Jones, who nodded firmly as he walked. Yep, he said, making his way around a small thicket. I just wanted to show you something else really quick before we left. It'll only take a minute and it's really cool. It's what I wanted to show you in the first place. A small spot of familiar discomfort butted in Dennis's stomach, but he ignored it. Cool, he said. Suddenly, the trees gave way to a small clearing. In the clearing was an ancient-looking iron fence, no taller than Dennis's waist, which created a perimeter around a long slab of nearly black dirt that was riddled with gravestones. A filthy angel statue stood tall in the center of the grave, its hands extended to the canopy of tangled branches above. Years of no sun and dreary weather had caused the angel to look like a monster, all blank eyes, peeling paint and dried mud. What the heck, Dennis said. Why is there a cemetery all the way out here? It's real old, Joan said, leaning against the fence but not going inside. People don't really use it anymore. Creepy. Dennis decided that when he got home, he would take a very hot shower and put on his pajamas and spend the rest of the day in bed reading comic books. Let's go, or my mom might not let me come back tomorrow. I wanted you to see this place, Dennis answered, as though his feelings were hurt. It's important to me. This is where I used to live. Dennis's heart skipped a beat in his chest. What? Yeah, okay. He let out a nervous laugh. I lived under the ground, Jones continued. His eyes glued to one gravestone in particular, the one directly in front of the angel statue. But it was too cold and boring, so I started to dig. The wood that my box was made out of was so old and rotted that I was able to break through it right away. But the dirt outside the box was much harder, like cold clay. It took so much longer than I ever could have imagined. It felt like it took decades, Dennis. Dennis was paralyzed with fear. Jones had to have been lying, obviously. Ghosts weren't real, and neither were dead boys who woke up in their graves and clawed their way out. Regardless, Dennis thought it was an awful thing to say, and it made him regret wanting to be friends. He suddenly saw Jones as he saw the poisonous red baneberries. All the signs had been there to not fall prey to the bright, shiny idea of a new friend to play with, but Dennis had ignored his instincts, and now he was stuck in a creepy cemetery with a creepy boy and no idea how to get home if he tried to run. And then, after what felt like an eternity, I finally dug my way out. I found a house. I found you. I sat and waited for you to wake up. And then we became friends. 
Jones finally tore his eyes away from the grave and stared at Dennis without blinking. We are friends, right, Dennis? We're best friends? Of course, Dennis answered right away. We're definitely best friends. Let's come back here and play tomorrow. He was desperate to say anything that would make Jones show him the way home, fully ready to make promises he wouldn't keep. You could tell me more about how you came to live in the box under the ground. It sounded ludicrous, but it only took a moment for Dennis to realize that it had worked. Jones broke into a grateful smile, his rigid stance relaxing as he stepped away from the fence. It means a lot to me that you didn't get scared and run away. Most kids would have. You're a real true friend. Never had a brother, but we could be brothers now. Sure, Dennis said, nearly fainting from relief as Jones finally led him away from the graveyard and to the edge of the forest. He had never felt so happy to feel the warm sunshine on his face after they were back in the open field. Never imagined he would be so surprised to survive what turned out to be such an unsettling day. He saw his house in the distance and felt such immense comfort that he almost wanted to cry. The rest of the walk home was silent. Well, Dennis said once they were on the road, that separated their front yards, ready to plant the seed in Jones' mind that he would not, in fact, be returning to the woods to play tomorrow. I sure hope my mom doesn't ground me for playing out there without her permission. I'm sure she'll understand, Jones said. Just tell her you're with your new brother. Right, Dennis said, awkwardly sticking his hand into his pocket. Well, bye, see you around. See you around, Jones repeated and watched Dennis walk up to his porch and disappear through the front door. As soon as he was safe inside, Dennis locked it and went straight to the kitchen, never more hopeful to get in trouble in his life. His mother stood at the stove, stirring a big pot of garlicky-smelling tomato sauce for spaghetti. On the counter beside the stove was a tray of meatballs ready to be put into the oven. I'm home, Mom, Dennis said, waiting for her to demand where he'd been all day. Instead, she greeted him without turning around, softly asking him how his day was. You haven't played like that in ages, she remarked before he could even answer. I was lonely, but I suppose it's nice to know you were doing something else besides hanging around here, making a racket because you were bored to death. But I went into the woods, he blurted, with a boy I never met before. Aren't you mad? Honey, we made that rule when you were six and got lost in there. Mom sighed, then lifted a spoonful of sauce from the pot and had a taste. You're capable of taking care of yourself by now, I'd imagine. Dennis didn't remember being lost in the woods when he was six. He finished the day as he'd originally planned, with a hot shower, pajamas, and comic book reading in bed. His mother even brought him dinner into his room, a huge steaming plate of spaghetti and meatballs with buttered bread and milk. When the sun went down and his eyelids started getting heavy, Dennis turned off his bedroom light and then walked in the dark to his window to close the blinds so that the sun wouldn't wake him up too early in the morning. But before he could close them, he saw something out the window that turned his blood cold. Outside, the moon shone brightly enough for Dennis to make out the road and the house on the other side. Sitting cross-legged in the yard, facing Dennis's window, was Jones. The moonlight caused the grin on the new neighbor's face to glow. 
Dennis closed the blinds and fled to his bed, pulling the covers over his head and hardly daring to move, convinced that at any moment he'd hear Jones tapping on his window or worse, whispering to him from right outside the blanket. Dennis fell asleep that way, all curled up and afraid, dreaming of cold places underground and the sound of fingernails digging to get out. When he woke up the next morning, he had a headache. Feeling braver in the daylight, Dennis checked the window again, sneakily, so that if Jones was still there, he wouldn't notice Dennis peering out. The yard across the street was empty. Thank goodness, Dennis thought. Maybe my eyes were playing tricks on me last night. Suddenly, there was a knock from down the hall in the living room where the front door was. Dennis rushed out of his room, his mother still sleeping. Dennis answered the door and nearly jumped out of his skin when he saw Jones standing there on the porch. Ready to play, brother? Jones asked, wearing the same filthy clothes as yesterday. Dennis remembered the weird story about Jones digging himself out of his own grave and shuddered. Sorry, Dennis said and tried his hardest to look like he meant it. I did end up getting in trouble yesterday for staying out all day and playing in the woods. My mom said I have to stay home today and no friends. He half expected Jones to argue and was relieved when the neighbor only gave off a little sigh and shrug of disappointment. That's a shame, he said. Maybe tomorrow. All day, Dennis stayed inside. He sat in his bedroom, the blinds tightly shut, while his mother went about her business throughout the house. Nighttime came at last and he fell asleep reading comics on the floor and woke up in the morning sore and annoyed that mom hadn't awoken him to move him to his bed. Slowly, he realized what had woken him up. Somebody was ringing the doorbell. At first, Dennis just laid there, waiting for his mother to answer the door, but minutes went by and still the bell rang. Ding dong, ding dong. Finally, he couldn't take it anymore. He got up and tore down the hall, noticing that his mother's purse was gone from the hook next to the front door and her car keys too. She'd left him home alone without even saying goodbye. He opened the front door and there stood Jones. Dennis stared at him with a frown, suddenly angry that he was the reason he'd had such an awful boring day yesterday. It was all because he was scared of this weird kid from across the street. Dennis looked over Jones' shoulder, desperately hopeful to spot some parents or grandparents or anyone who might be keeping close track of their child. But of course, there was nobody. Ready to play, brother? Jones asked. No, Dennis said, then quickly corrected himself. I mean, I'm still in trouble. I'm not allowed. My mom was really mad. She may not let me leave for the rest of the summer. To Dennis, it felt like the lie was glaringly obvious, and he was ashamed of it. But Jones listened thoughtfully as though Dennis would never lie to him because they were brothers now after all, weren't they? That's not fair, Dennis decided after a long silence. You shouldn't have to stay in this house forever. You should be able to come outside and play with me whenever you want. Your mother is very selfish for not letting you leave. Yeah, Dennis said with uncertainty. It's too bad. I'm sorry, Jones. Maybe I'll see you when school starts. Something should really be done about her, Jones narrowed his eyes. It's not fair she keeps you trapped like this. Dennis wondered how his mom would feel if she knew he tricked the new neighbor into thinking she was awful. It hurt his heart a little bit because of how nice and loving she actually was. He wished his mother were here right now, but then again, 
Maybe it was for the best that she was gone. Otherwise, she might invite Jones to come inside. Bye, Jones, Dennis said and closed the door before the boy could respond. Dennis quietly made his way to the living room, then peeked very carefully through the curtains to spy on Jones. As Dennis watched, Jones walked slowly across the road and to the woods in the distance. Right before he went through the tree line, Jones turned back and waved. Dennis's stomach did a flop, and he hurried to get dressed and put on his sneakers. He got on his bike and pedaled down the dirt road away from his house and Jones's house in the woods for almost 30 whole minutes before reaching his destination. The gas station was Dennis's favorite place to buy candy and chips and soda and cherry slushies. And now more than ever, he sought out the comfort of a snack attack while in a place far away from Jones. But he soon noticed after pulling in that the lot was empty. And when he tried to go inside, he found the doors were locked. Come on, he growled under his breath, jostling the door again as if that would magically unlock it. Why were they closed in the middle of the day? He cupped his hands and peered through the glass. The entire building was stripped and empty. It didn't make any sense. Hadn't Dennis just been here a few days ago before he ever met Jones to get a popsicle? The memory was fuzzy in a way that made Dennis nervous. Looking around, Dennis noticed that the gas station was not only closed, it was like it had been closed for years. Thick layers of dust covered the pumps, which were missing the gas nozzles. The sign that usually announced whatever was on sale was faded and covered in graffiti. Dennis suddenly felt faint with fear. Something wasn't right here. Something was very wrong. He got back on his bike and pedaled hard for home, hoping with all his heart that his mother would be there by the time he returned. He didn't care if it made him look like a baby. All he wanted right now was to cry to her and hug her and tell her every single thing that had happened since he woke up two days before with the sight of a new little boy sitting in the yard of the house across the street. The sun was hot on Dennis's back, but he didn't sweat. Finally, he turned off the old dirt road that would eventually lead to his house. And as he approached, he spotted his mother's car in the driveway right away. Thank goodness. His legs weak and shaky from all the pedaling, Dennis abandoned his bike in the front yard and began to make his way for the front door before stopping dead in his tracks. Jones was sitting on the porch. Behind him, the door was wide open, knocking itself over and over against the wooden rack just inside that held everybody's shoes blown by the wind. Clunk, clunk, clunk. On the floor, Dennis spotted his mother's purse, sprawled sideways on the ground as though it had been dropped. The purse was clotted with a thick, dark red liquid. I asked her nicely, Joan said, standing, grinning at Dennis wide enough to show all his teeth. Ready to play, brother? After the police finished at Dennis's house, they went to interview the closest neighbor, an old woman named Harriet who lived a few miles away and often had Dennis's mother over for lunch or afternoon cards. Harriet told the police that Dennis's mother had lived a very hard and lonely life and was never able to work through the grief of losing her child after he wandered off and disappeared into the nearby woods when he was six years old. She even claimed that the boy's ghost visited her, making sounds throughout the house, opening and closing doors, running the water in the sink or shower, supposedly speaking to her from time to time. 
The police told Harriet that they'd found plates of food in the boys' bedroom, which had been kept intact since the disappearance. Harriet sighed and said that Dennis's mom always brought him food, insisting that he liked it, even if he never ate it. It's such a shame what happened to her, Harriet said with tears in her eyes. She was such a lovely woman. Months later, after the house was cleaned and sold, the new family who moved in encouraged their daughter to explore the beautiful open land, enjoy their new and infinitely more peaceful life away from the city they'd left behind. The daughter roamed all around outside, even peeking into the windows of the empty house across the road, before eventually working her way through the field and to the woods in the distance. That night, she told her parents that she never wanted to go into those woods again. Apparently, she had heard what sounded like two boys playing, whispering in her ear about joining them, ghost versus ghost hunter. One of the ghosts was new to the forest, they said but the other had been around for a long, long time, and both would be stuck as children forever. The newer ghost had died in the woods when he was six, but with no grave to dig himself out of, his confused spirit wandered home out of habit, and he was never able to break away from the routine of haunting his own mother in order to keep her company. The older ghost had helped him escape at last, let go of his mother and the routine that had blurred time together so forcefully, and returned to the place where his body had rotted into the ground, where he could now roam and play free forever. That's what ghosts do for each other, the voice said to the girl, just like brothers. Play with us. Join us. But the girl couldn't see any boys or anyone in the woods at all, could only hear whispers and giggles before something pulled her braid with a sharp tug and sent her sprinting. It had scared her half to death. She hadn't even noticed the cemetery as she fled, where two boys sat, cross-legged, in front of a gravestone marked with the name Jones. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope that you and the Little Creepsters loved these stories as much as we did. A little bit longer, a little bit different, but so good. Did y'all guess the ending? Stick around for next Saturday for some more kid-friendly stories. But until then, remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.